All right, before we start today, I thought it'd be kind of fun to have a little informal conversation about the use of transition words in essays. <laughs> I know I know that's not what you thought I was going to say, uh, but here we are, and uh, let's, let's give it a shot. Now, there's over 200 transitional words that can be used from however to as a matter of fact to comparatively. You've got a lot of crayons to choose from. Now, transition words are used to link phrases or sentences together. In DJ terms, it's kind of like when one song blends into the next and you're on the dance floor and you have no idea that a new song has even started or that the other one has ended. Transitions help the reader progress from one idea to the next idea. It's easy, right? They help build a coherent relationship within the narrative, and they mark a certain shift in the line of inquiry or argument by way of contrast or opposition, emphasis or agreement, purpose, result, or conclusion. Boring, right? <laughs> well, typically my college students would agree with you. So the question is, why am I talking about this? Well, you know there's a reason, so sit tight. I'm sure the, uh, the discussion about transitional phrases has you on the edge of your seat. Well, stay there, and all will be answered. I'm Alex Green. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of my guest today on the program, Dan Byrne. Let me tell you a little bit about Dan Byrne. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but I've taught college for a really long time. I teach composition, argumentative essay writing, and by far the most effective way to teach my students how to use transitional words is to listen to Dan Byrne. It's true. One semester, I embarked on a lecture that was kind of like the one I did at the beginning of this podcast— but it was longer, and it was duller, and I realized as I read the room, it wasn't working. So I played this song, and everything changed. All the ancient kings came to my door. They said, you want to be an ancient king, too? I said, oh, yes, very much. But I think my timing's wrong. They said, time is relative. Or did you misread Einstein? I said, you really mean it. They said, what do you think we come here for? Our goddamn health or something. Everybody's waiting for the Messiah. Jews are waiting, Christians are waiting, also the Muslims, it's like everybody's waiting, they've been waiting a long time, I know how I hate to wait, like even for a bus or something, an important phone call, so I can just imagine how darned impatient everybody must be getting, so I think it's time now, time to reveal myself. I am the Messiah, I am the Messiah Yes, I think you heard me right, I am the Messiah I was gonna wait till next year, build up the suspense a little Make it a really big surprise, but I could not resist It's like when you get a really big secret, you're just person to tell someone It was sort of like that with this 
And now that I've told you, I feel this great way Well, I think you get the point. Not only did my students understand after I played that song the art of transitions, I understood something too. And that is, whenever I have to teach transitions, well, I have Dan Byrne do my job for me. Look, the fact of the matter is, the Iowa-born Dan Byrne has consistently been one of the most inventive, exciting, literate, intelligent, and brilliant songwriters of the last three decades. With close to 30 albums to his name, including his latest Mitch Marine-produced effort, Ivan's Barbershop, Dan Byrne is, quite simply, one of our very best. He's written songs for movies like Walk Hard and Get Him to the Greek, he's toured with Annie DeFranco, and he's duetted with Emmylou Harris. But he doesn't just write songs and play guitar. He's an accomplished painter, the author of several books, and, from what I understand, a pretty solid tennis player. He and I are going to bash it around one of these days on the tennis court, but until we do, our rallies will be conversational, like this one you're about to hear. Here's me and Dan Byrne having a chat, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Right now, I'm hitting against a wall at a factory where no one's hanging out. Yeah. But most days, I ride my bike there and hit for 20, 30 minutes. That's what I do. That's my, um, that's my version of cardio. And I've been sort of like uh, trying to like get into schools to hitting against the back of a wall against a school or, like, you know, like a yeah. great... <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I like... A, I mean, I... It, it gets a little boring, but I, I've always liked a wall. And to me, having a access to a good wall is just about as good. Yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, it's definitely um, solitary. It's just, yeah. no, you're not hitting with anybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I, and you were teaching tennis for a while too, weren't you, when you first came out to LA? Yeah, I was teaching in uh, Encino, in uh, Balboa Park up there. I was teaching in Chicago for a little bit. And, um, camps in wisconsin and stuff yeah yeah so you were a junior a junior player i was a junior player i wasn't a great junior player i i hit my stride more um i mean i played in high school but probably my best competitive was was in college because uh, i was still growing and i i was still getting better yeah no me too i had the same i had the same situation mm. i was thinking about how a couple of years ago, you had that injury to your hand. Yeah. And I was thinking about how, when I was watching you talk about it, you were, and this is your livelihood, your livelihood is threatened by not being able to play guitar. Um, and I was thinking a little bit about what, what athletes are having to go through now, especially tennis players who, um, you know, who are like 300 in the world or 400 yeah. in the world. They're not making a living anymore at all. Um, yeah. And so I was thinking about the relationship between musicians and athletes and I think that tennis is the best, as far as I can think, uh, the best corollary because literally the source of income just stops. I mean, it's just right. Done. You're not under contract. You you don't get a salary. You you like, it's it's all it's gig based. Yeah. 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 So how like are is there a bit of are you experiencing not like a PTSD from a couple of years ago when it was like what is my future like but are you experiencing a kind of terror of how am I going to get out and play gigs and make a living? Well, I haven't um, simply because of these, uh, you know, online Facebook live shows I've been doing. Um, I've been doing basically about five of them a week. Okay. I start on Thursday. I, two of them have been like the Thursday and the Saturday ones. I've been doing themes. I did a tennis one. I did a baseball one. I did uh, uh, God one yesterday. I'm doing a moon one tomorrow. Uh, a couple of them have just been free form, which is cool because then people can request stuff and, you know, in real time. I mean, usually you're maybe people shout out at a show a song they want to hear, but usually people are, are, I mean, I encourage that, but oftentimes they're more polite than I would be. 
and they'll tell you after the show, but now I'll do it tomorrow. You won't be there because I'll be down the road a couple hundred miles. But now it's in real time. You can actually almost, it's like reading their thoughts and it's, it's kind of useful. Um, I mean, in terms of <clears throat> financials, you, you know, it's a tip jar basically. Um, but people are, have been real cool about it. My, I'm, I, I'm not, uh, I mean, of course, there's still rent, but I'm not paying for gas and hotels and, uh, you know, uh, $3 an egg breakfast. <laughs> it's just, uh, so, I mean, so far, uh, so far, um, fortunately, that hasn't been a, a, a part of the, the worry so much, um, fortunately. And it, it's kind of a... I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know. Uh, there's too many questions. There's too many unknowns, but it, it feels like something of a model for, for something. I mean, I feel like if nothing else, I'm learning how to, how to do a, a TV show of some sort. <laughs> right. Right. You're sort of, you've been forced into becoming a, a TV star. Yeah. Yeah. In a, you know, in a small, in a small way, but before this, I was, I was doing. I got this radio station, this online radio station called Radio Free Bernstein, and uh, I can cut in live anytime I want. And I can, you know, if I know I'm gonna do a a live thing, I'll usually let people know via Facebook or Twitter or whatever. But these Facebook lives, just because everybody's on it. Uh, you don't have to even get a free app. You just you're just on Facebook, and so uh, the audience for that versus the when I was doing the my radio stuff, uh, you know, it's ten times what I was what I was getting when I was doing it on my own. So that's something. Is there what's happened to you creatively? during this quarantine. I'm not sure where you are. I'm in, I'm in the Bay Area. I mean, it's literally, I'm outside of Berkeley and it's just like, there's nobody around. And we, yeah. can't, get out, we really can't go outside except for, you know, hitting against the backboard or, or doing pull-ups in the park. Yeah. Um, but what has happened to you creatively as an artist? Has this made you more prolific or has it made you less or is everything the same? Well, it's shifted. I mean, what, when it started, I wrote a whole flurry of quarantine songs. There were enough. I wasn't. I didn't really want to do anything with them, but people were saying, "Hey, where can I get these? Where can I get that one? Have you recorded this one?" So I thought, "Well, I'll put them up on Bandcamp." So there's a quarantine songs collection on Bandcamp, and uh, most of those proceeds are going to Music Cares, just send money to Music Cares. But be and then so you know, bunch of songs. Beyond that, it's really curating these these shows and uh, pulling together. And it's been kind of amazing because normally if I'm doing a show, I'm kind of limited to what I can remember to the songs I have in my memory at that, at any current moment, you know? And of course I've forgotten a lot of the songs that people might want to hear, that's just the way it goes. When I go hear somebody, I might have heard something 20 years ago and I want to hear that song and they're like, sorry. <laughs> uh, but now I've got all my songbooks just feed away. And so I can, I can play pretty much anything at any time and I can also pull together these theme shows of mine, I, I, I've been doing covers, like left and right, stuff I would never have been able to uh, conjure up for a given show in Cleveland some night, you know? Right. So, I mean, in, in that respect, it's been, um, it's been a, a kind of a creative explosion. Where it goes, I don't know. But for now, it's, uh, I mean, people seem to like it. There's enough, there's enough, you know, great feedback that I feel like it's of use to people, but it's also, I think, of great use to me 
I mean, it's just, it's definitely keeping me sane. And uh, the, the expression used to be off the streets, but that's, <laughs> that's anyway, but it's, it, it's keeping my mind focused. And um, yeah, I'm always, I've always got, it's a, it's a, it's a welcome distraction, I guess. I'm a writer and I feel like I feel the same as you. Um, but I think if this goes on for a year and you and I check in a year from now, we'll both have big rabbinical beards and we'll be like, enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there's days, yeah. There's times already it's like, oh man, how long, oh Lord? But um, it's, uh, among other things, it's a, it's a creative challenge for everybody, I think. Are you, with your friends that are in the industry, fellow musicians, are you in touch with them and sort of commiserating or are people reaching out? Is there like a network? Uh, I mean, I probably talk to more people or, or am in touch with more people than I normally would be. Um, there is some, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of people like, sending around files and you know i'll add this to this and i'll i just talked to my friend jordan katz who's worked on a ton of stuff with me um and we might do something where he's got some some players and we might do something with with eric cuffs who we've also worked with and i'm i'm i've got this idea that jordan he's a trumpet player a great great trumpet player and kind of band leader guy and I was listening to a Chet Baker thing and you know, where Chet plays and then breaks into song. And I was like, okay, Jordan, this is what you gotta do. You gotta play and then you're gonna break into song. And he's like, oh, I've always dreamed of that, but I don't think I can sing like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll coach you. I, I, I have this vision. <laughs> so we're probably also pushing each other to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Cause that just wouldn't have happened if there was no global pandemic. I just don't think it would have come to mind. Yeah. 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 You've always been, uh, as far as I can tell, you've always been a really prolific writer. Um, you seem like you always have your line in the water. You're always, you're always creating and writing. Um, so is that, is that a, a, a fair perception? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the one, it's the one consistent thing probably that I've done my whole life. Um, I think, you know, and, and I've, I've taught a lot of songwriting workshops in the last probably 10 years now. And so I've learned how to be encouraging of other people to have their lines open. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's, it's really, it's really a, a muscle skill is it's, it's, um, you know, if you're a, if you're a pitcher, you, you don't want to be, too far away from pitching for very long, you know, even after your, your start, maybe it's more like being a relief pitcher. You're just always throwing. You're always feel like you couldn't uh, get up and, and in, you know, 10 warm up pitches, be ready to go to the mound and, and do battle. Um, I, I, so I think I've always had a, a mild panic, at least for a long time that, if, that if I hadn't written anything for a couple, three days that, that I was done, that I, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to find it again. So maybe because of that um, uh, insecurity or, or uh, whatever that is, maybe because of that, I've, I've always kept the, the channels pretty open. I always felt that it was like a refuge too. Like if I was in love with a girl and she didn't care uh, about me on, on any level, I would come home and write and I would feel better about everything. It was a great bomb for um, a raw soul, I suppose. Yeah. The challenge probably is to do that when you, when everything's going good. Right. You know, when, when you're not down in the dumps. Um, but then, you know, there's the, there's, there's a sort of ecstatic place to come from um, that that doesn't require uh, feeling like the world's about to end. Yeah, I mean, the, all you have to do is listen to uh, I don't know Elvis Costello, and he's just 
Waylon and uh you know it's 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 ecstasy it's not it's not morose and uh there's there's plenty there he interests me because i remember in the early days there was an economy to his work and the later work seems like much more expansive and there's like a, you know, the lyrics are are so long <laughs> and the lines are so long um, he almost seems like he's like right. He can't stop writing. Yeah, it's kind of like Bruce in reverse. Bruce started out real expansive, yeah. and, he, and his stuff got got tighter and tighter, more box like. I interviewed the singer of the Trash Can Sinatra's years ago, and I asked him about their first record. And he goes, "Oh, that's a tough one for me." I said, "Why?" He said, "So many words." <laughs> so so many yeah. words and i thought yeah they're all great but he was he was talking about how as he got older there was an economy that sort of settled in have you noticed any narrative shifts like that with your work or how would you characterize what's happened to you mine might be more that way too um i think my early songs probably just uh ran roughshod over traditional form and boundary and line length and um and probably over time it's also i mean it be, i think when you write a trillion songs at some point you you start passing on some it's like yeah i've kind of already written the one where i go to the 7-eleven and fall in love and then leave and then never see the the object of that again, ex except four years later when I'm in a shoe, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, w which is also why I am so welcoming whenever there's a project and somebody brings me a project, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a TV show, maybe it's just, uh, hey, I work for the Milwaukee Brewers, could you write a song about the Brewers? You know, something like that is like, uh, because then, well, when I was, I was walking, writing for Walk Hard for, for a couple years, some some years back, the movie Walk Hard, and it was like being sixteen again because every song, every song was new because I was writing in the, in the coat in the guise of of this guy, you know. So I hadn't, I hadn't already written a bunch of songs in that mindset, and th and that. That's always true, you know. Somebody says, "Hey, um, could you write about this?" But especially if it's a specific thing, like to a script or whatever, that's the that's like that's manna from heaven. Are you a pretty good collaborator in that in that regard? Also, I've gotten to be good. Um, it was, it wasn't uh, my first. Uh, first time I did a lot of collaboration was was on that movie. I um and it, you know I was with Mike Viola so yeah uh that's about as good as it gets so we became this sort of two-headed monster songwriting team for probably over a year and then we did the same thing on Get Him to the Greek and by that point we were both living in LA and we were like three doors down so we did like you know 3 a.m. pajama sessions <laughs> it was it was great um and so you know from that you also learn to take notes from producers directors um other other people i i was writing for a cartoon called stinky and dirty for a couple of years and there were like six different departments that would weigh in there was a psycho a child psychologist who had to who had to pass off on everything sign off on everything so um, I guess the, the biggest thing with that, I think, is, is losing your ego attachment and the scariest thing. But once you do that, it's like, well, it's as if you were making a table for somebody who wanted a table. It's like, it doesn't matter if you think the table should have a drawer here and, you know, a, a, a sliding part there they want the drawer there and they want the sliding part there and they and the the sliding part has to be blue and as as soon as you lose your you know attachment to any of that then it's 
then you're just happy when they're happy. And I also found that most of the time when you listen to them and try to give them what they want, once they're satisfied, by and large, I think the thing turns out better than than if you had just done it the way you wanted to anyway. So I guess learning to trust that is a big thing too. When you were 19, could you have done that? Um, could I have? I'd like to think I could have. It just didn't come up. Also, in the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years, it, it feels like that's become, for songwriters, that's become the game. That's become the yeah. sport. That's what people do now. They get together and they write songs, whether somebody's telling them to or not. Um, that didn't, that wasn't nearly as prevalent. Maybe it was in Nashville. Maybe it was in, if sure, if you were working in the Brill Building, but most people weren't. But now everybody is in some sense, you know. That Brill Building, that whole idea worked. And I, I mean, you know, it's the idea of sort of like a song factory is, yeah. um, was a pretty successful venture. Yeah, but I suppose you had to, you know, you also have to find the people that you click with. Um, but also, you know, I think it's an art. It's definitely an art form. I, I have tried to model myself as a collaborator. I always think of magic. I always think of Magic Johnson. I always think how he uh, would have not come in there and said, well, this is what I do and you got to mold around me, but how can I make, how can I bring out what you do the best? So I'm I'm trying to to do that and if and to do as little as I have to and whatever I have to do then I'll then I'll jump in and fill in but uh, at least in my mind that's when I see what what they do well and what I can do to f facilitate that and sometimes it's not even perceptible because like if you look at McEnroe and Fleming I mean what a team everyone yeah. talks about McEnroe's skills as a doubles player which are peerless but peter yeah. fleming no one ever talks about how what he was doing to make mcenroe be able to do the stuff that he was doing on the court um that's right that's a good idea of how a collaboration can work so do you think do you think it was um unfair to fleming that people said the best doubles team was mcenroe and anybody i think it was unfair i mean i i think it was probably also true <laughs> but i mean it probably was unfair because i think peter fleming did some outstanding things that yeah. um they were like they were sort of like a, um like a lennon and mccartney on the court because you know although fleming people don't talk about him in in hallowed circles but i kind of think they should I mean, have you, you ever talked to him no fleming yeah i wanted to have you no but that would be an interesting interview no one's talked to him. He's very, um, he's like the J.D. Salinger of tennis. Huh, he's never really? around. Yeah. He was one of the first, uh, I mean, back now everybody's 6'10", but how tall was he? Because he was a big guy, right? He was a big, lanky, blonde guy. He had to be at least 6'2". Oh, I was thinking more like 6'8". Oh, he was big. I, and when people weren't yeah, that's on true. the court so much. Well, I mean, McEnroe certainly wasn't big at all. He looked like a god, but he was barely 5'10". Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't think any. I mean, what what was Borg like? Maybe six one. He was probably a little taller. A little taller, yeah, yeah, yeah. My my joke about about Borg is that he and I have the same birthday, and between us, we have five Wimbledon titles. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring him down. You're yeah, in the negative him. numbers. <laughs> Considerably, yeah. But I think McEnroe and Fleming is like a beautiful partnership and i think like when you were mentioning mike and i was thinking about mike and adam from fountains of wayne who recently passed away yeah they were like the deans of of pop songwriting they'd sort of yeah. become these like academics um where they they seem that they really understood the structure of a song in a way that um that really was beautifully rendered what, what did you know adam i didn't only through mike i mean only of lore through mike yeah. And what's your take on Mike as a as a songwriter? Oh. Well, my the thing that I loved saying was 
you know, during that time, I wasn't even the best songwriter on my block. <laughs> I mean, he's, uh, it's like, it's like having Paul McCartney in the room. It really is. I mean, he, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about Mike is as much of a melodicist as he is, I mean, but he's also just as good as of a lyricist and just brilliant. And I mean, he's, he's read Ulysses 10 times. I, I couldn't get through that book. I mean, he's really, really deep and smart and funny and compassionate and that in and doesn't have an ego in that wonderful way that made um you know so the stuff that we worked on there was as as great as he is there was i never felt hemmed in there was plenty of room for me to do what i do and run with that and sometimes i would just sit back and watch him go and sometimes he would sit back and watch me go and sometimes we would just race along together you know line by line uh just great i i miss those days i i hope um we've tried to write stuff that wasn't for projects and that's great too but it is really really great to have a a shared focus and purpose. I hope at some point somebody comes along and says, hey, you guys do this. Yeah. Yeah. He, he reminds me of Raymond Carver in the sense that it, he, it looks really easy. It's very mm. economical. Yeah. Um, but if you sit down and try to do it, it's almost impossible. That's right. That's right. Anytime. Yeah, it does look easy and it sounds easy. And then it's like you try to cover it and it's like, hey, Mike, what the <laughs> hell are you doing here? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I, I think Adam Schlesinger had, had that same thing. Just these really elegant moves and like, you know, when you shift to the bridge and it, um, most even really, really good and skilled and experienced songwriters, uh, Mike, Mike would, would sort of, uh, amusedly, derisively, call my style of playing uh cowboy chords oh well uh, cowboy chords uh you know it's a little different it's a little different and like there's this there's this next sort of master's degree level up of i don't know when when uh in like that thing you do when when it goes to the d and then the b and then but it's like whoa i would have just you know, stayed on the sea. <laughs> wow. It's pretty it's it's something. And when when that's when you're able to have that on your side, that's when you feel unstoppable. Listen the big guys new C D laying in bed. The one is producer thinks he never should have made. But it gets me going, gets me into the shower. What a shot to be awake at this early hour in the old gun. It's time to fly, and all that's left is the fact we tried. So thanks for the tunes, and thanks for the time you're gone now, baby. Bye bye. I can't place the voice and the inserts missing.
first thing we worked on, I had been working on Walk Hard on my own for months, and he had been doing the same. And then we, we met and were quickly sort of thrown together to, to become Dewey Cox at the same time. Uh, and I had this song that I'd been working on, which became Beautiful Ride, the song that Dewey sings at the end of his life when he has this big comeback and it's just basically his whole life summed up in a song. Um, and I had this thing and then Mike, Mike said, oh, that's great. What if it had this chorus? And he just came up with this chorus immediately. And I think as soon as I saw that happening, it changed the way I approached stuff of my own in terms of what was possible, in terms of having a, a chorus that then just lifted up, lifted up off the thing and, and, and went here. So yeah, just being around that kind of thing um, when you're working on something in a team, in a team way, you, you, I think, yeah, you're immediately better. What did it look like when you weren't great at collaborating? Were you just somebody who liked to be alone or how did that, how did that present itself? There was a thing I did a long time ago called In Harmony with the Homeless when I was living in LA and um, they, they got a bunch of songwriters, brought us down to the homeless shelter in downtown LA and paired us up with homeless folks or folks who had recently been homeless, but were now um, living at the shelter and hopefully, um, you know, getting their lives on track and weren't gonna be homeless and were getting um, attention and skills and, and whatnot. And so when I was doing that, I would sit with, whoever it was for 34 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, get their story, take a lot of notes, ask a lot of questions. And then I'd say, okay, well, maybe go get a cup of coffee or something. And then they'd come back and, and I'd have a song. Um, so that's a kind of collaboration, but it's not a in the room collaboration. I, I think I was too, I was scared that I couldn't sort of do my song brain thing um, if somebody was there and I needed to have some sort of, and I know there's a lot of people that that's the case for. And uh, it is a little scary. It, it still is scary. Somebody shows up and you haven't worked with them before and you're expected to to work with them and, and find the way. There's a, there's a show in LA called, um, ah, what the heck is it called? Uh, I feel so bad that I can't remember right now what it's called. It's, the premise is they, they take six songwriters and they pair them up in three groups of two and they each give them a topic or a title, they give them a title 
and you got seven and it's with a live audience and they go and you got 17 minutes to write a song together and you come back and you perform it <laughs> the panel um so when you think of it that way that's really all you need you need 17 minutes um so when you realize that and then most of the time of course you have more than that you have an hour you have two hours you have time to sit and take a break and take a leak and get something to eat so but but really the the working part of writing a song is oftentimes that quick is there in terms of unfinished business um like I remember I, I, Mike Scott from the Waterboys was telling me that he had a song that was sitting there for like 20 years. Um, do you have stuff that's, that's incomplete like that? Or are you the kind of guy where if you can't finish it when you're doing it, you'll dismiss it and move on? Well, I have had stuff that's hung around for weeks, months, years. And then I, and then I come back to it. I would say most of the time I, I complete them. I take, I, I see the throw. I see the throw of the thing through. Um, uh, you, you know, you'll go back and you'll change things up. You'll change lines. You'll play it for an audience and you'll realize this is, this works and this is a clunker and you'll keep refining it. You'll add a bridge, whatever. But most of the time, uh, if I'm in the mindset of the thing, I got to see it through. And I always encourage people to do that too, because it's just too easy to to drop the thread. And you know, you, you when you're in, you're saying with Mike, it seems real easy. Right. It seems like you could access this again. It's obvious. It's like a dream. It's like you wake up from a dream, and you go, oh yeah. And then ten minutes later. You remember one thing and the rest is gone, and then an hour later you can't remember any of it. Um, it's real fleeting. It comes in, it's easy, it's obvious, it's there, and then it's gone. So I think it's important for most people to capture the thing as it's coming in. Yeah, and it's and, and do you find that when you're doing songwriting clinics or discussing the sort of the practice of songwriting, do you feel that it sort of intellectualizes it too much and it should almost be left to just inspiration? Or do you think it's useful for you to even be talking about it and then go back and, and think about it for your own work? Uh, I don't do a lot of theory. Yeah. There's a little bit, mostly from their questions, but mostly it's um, do, do, go, do. And yeah, go, so fast that you don't have time to think about it. You don't have time to second guess. You don't have time to question. Here's the prompt. Go. You got uh, 35 minutes, you know. Yeah, because a lot of times people love to talk about the work that they're going to be doing, but they don't actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? This yeah. novel I'm going to be writing, it's going to be about this thing, and then you never get around to doing it, but they've talked about it for 20 years. Or they'll talk about for, for you know, an hour how they can't finish songs, and in that hour they could have finished a song. <laughs> right. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, there's probably, probably sports again are the best analogy. It's like, yeah, I don't know, my serve, I don't know. We'll, we'll hit some, <laughs> hit some. Oh, well, why don't you, why don't you move your uh, knuckle uh, over a, 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 a millimeter? Yeah, now hit some more. Just take some swings. I, you know, I was watching Federer play a couple of years ago and he played a match, he won like three and four and they showed the match statistics afterwards and it was like he made 38 unforced errors right and i was like that's a lot of errors to make but comparatively it's good to know that during a match that you can win fairly tidily six three six four in an hour and 10 minutes you're gonna make mistakes and i think maybe it's good to know that you can shank a backhand into the into the crowd sometimes you oh, know? it's amazing to watch him do that exact thing and it doesn't deter him for his next full-on swing. I mean, if I shank a backhand and, and it goes over, you know, it hits the frame and it goes over the fence, it definitely influences <laughs> my next swing. Yeah. With all those guys, but for some, somehow with him, even, even more, it doesn't seem to. And, you know, they'll say that about 
you know, Kobe might come out and miss 20 shots and it's not going to stop him from wanting the ball and, and keep gunning. That's, that's, you know, what a scorer is. It's in, that's incredible to see that kind of stuff. It is. I mean, you know, Nadal will win a match three and four and he'll make four unforced errors. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a whole different approach, but I always thought of myself as a writer I think of myself as like John Riggins. Remember him? Sure. Right? It was like John Riggins ran for 123 yards today in 110 carries. It just kept right. going, right? Mm-hmm. Just grind it out. And, and sometimes you know, you're not going to sit down and write uh, a masterpiece or find the open road, but at least you're doing something. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I think I, I'm the same way. Uh, I wrote probably 200 songs for Walk Hard. Wow. Marshall Crenshaw wrote one. Now, the one he wrote is Walk Hard, Hard, Down Life's Rocky Road. He wrote the theme song. He wrote one, and then he stopped. You know, I wrote 200, and nine were in the movie. And I think 15 were on the extended soundtrack. So my percentage was miserable. But I got a lot of songs in there. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm John Riggins, too. Yeah, I'm John Riggins, too. I mean, Marsha Crenshaw is another guy I put up there with Mike Viola. I think he's oh. another one of those deans, right? Oh, God, yeah. And even more, it looks effortless, and it looks like nothing's really going on until you look at it. And um, I don't know. With, with Crenshaw, it almost looks clumsy. With Mike, it looks elegant. With Crenshaw's, it, it it almost looks clumsy, but they sort of arrive at the same thing. And it's like, when you analyze, it's like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And those Marshall Crenshaw records um, from the 80s, I mean, they still hold up beautifully. Those songs oh. are just masterful. Yeah. 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 Like real timeless pop songs that just are built built to last yeah yeah and whether he's doing it with a full band or acoustically it doesn't make a difference yeah he's a, so, boy he's a funny guy we were in alaska for a week and we were supposed to we were supposed to share the driving you know we rented a car we had shows all over the state and the, the first morning he's driving there's a car stopped at a stop sign marshall's impatient he passes the car it's a cop we get stopped immediately so after, you know, after those first five minutes, it was quickly determined that I was going to do all the driving that week. But uh, he's a hell of a guy. I've never chatted with him, but every interview I've heard, he seems so serious. Is he not really as serious as he comes across? He's pretty serious. But there's, um, there's a lot of, you know, he's like, he's like, kind of a crotchety guy. I think he was probably kind of crotchety when he was 15. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, he's, yeah, he's funny. He, he likes things, he likes things like a certain way and he's a little bit thrown when they're not. I think, I think he doesn't tour a lot outside of sort of his home area which i think he lives in woodstock or thereabouts and so you know you're there you can in a six hour radius of driving you can cover a hell of a lot of ground so i think he yeah he likes things to be kind of kind of uh the way he likes them and if if he's you know if you're in a rustic cabin and there's no tv and he can't watch rachel maddow He's a little throat. <laughs> so to me, that's funny. Yeah. Well, it's easy to disrupt somebody like that. Yeah. Right. And when you, yeah. And when somebody's disrupted, that's when uh, they're interesting. Right. Right. He's like Nadal with the bottles, right? He has to have the right. bottles lined up. That's right. <laughs> How is he as a, as a guitar player? I, I always felt he was pretty underrated. I would agree. But I, the, well, the, I would agree, but I don't know, like, if he's the kind of guy who's going to rip a lead. Yeah. 
You know, I think he knows how to play. And a lot of people are like this. He knows how to play his songs is, is my uh, take on it. And he plays really, really well. Viola, on the other hand, he can play anything. He could, you know, he, he'll go out on tour with uh, Ryan Adams and be his lead guitar player. He can play bass in your band. He could probably play drums in your band. He could for sure play keyboard in your band. I'm definitely this way. It's like, I know how to play my song. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, nobody's beating down my door for me to, to you know, be their side man. <laughs> Do you think it's important to learn another instrument? Or is that some, I've heard musicians say that they like to pick up something else just to sort of augment. Are you one of those guys or do you? Uh, I became one of those guys after I messed up my hand. And uh, so I couldn't play guitar for a lot, uh, quite a while, months, eight months anyway. So I started playing the piano a lot. And I, um, I'm not a pianist, but I can play the piano. I can play songs on the piano now. So that opened up whole new worlds. Um, I don't know that I would have done it with that kind of a vengeance if I didn't have to. Um, but sure, any any uh, instrument out of out of your own is gonna it's gonna help. It's gonna bring new things. It's gonna break some patterns. Musical cross training, yeah. Okay. Um, did you did you rebound from the injury better than you expected? Did it did it go okay for you? Yeah, because I you know my fear was I'd never play guitar again. Right. So anything beyond that was going to be gravy. Now I don't really even think about it. Um, yeah, I I I appreciate playing the guitar more than I ever did. So I'm I'm. I think I'm, I don't know, I'm enjoying it more. I'm lingering on the fretboard more. So I'm probably doing stuff I didn't even care to do before. But mostly I'm back to being my serviceable <laughs> self on the guitar. It reminds me, remember Tomas Muster? I do. So he was like, he was gonna be shredding everybody. He got hit by that car. Yeah. Um, and then they said, you might never walk again. Um, and he ended up winning the French, I think, twice after that. Um, but you could tell that he had, had a new joy for the sport that I'm not sure was there beforehand. If you look at the game film beforehand, he was a pretty steely guy. And he still was. But there was a levity that came to him where I could tell he was just so, he felt so grateful to be on that court that almost like he almost became better, I think. I didn't feel like that with when Monica came back, though. No. There was a... You know, she'd she'd had so much joy, just you know, uh, through the roof. She was my favorite, so it was that was a really that was a tough one to watch. Um, oh, really tough. Yeah, yeah. I was so mad at Jim Rome when. Uh, yeah, I've, I I like Jim Rome. I've always liked Jim Rome. I, I I like him on the radio more than TV. Yeah. Um, but. Way back, like before he was even national, I used to listen to him three in the morning when he was out of San Diego, and nobody really knew who he was. But, but man, when he when he would he was start he was making fun of Monica after after the incident, and that that really wasn't cool. No, that's about the least least cool thing you could do. I I don't think people realize just how traumatic that 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 was. Um, Especially, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, your whole, your whole world changes. It's almost like her Garden of Eden was just completely um, destroyed. And um, no, there wasn't, the joy was gone. I think there was a lot of fear in, with her, understandably. Um, but, but she was just an absolute, I loved watching her play. Yeah. She was terrific. I mean, the, the only, it's, it's different, but the the only thing that comes to mind is uh, that was equally shocking was was when Magic made his announcement and stepped away. Um, still different somehow. Yeah, yeah, and that was like ninety one, right? That was that was really shocking. Um, 
you know, you, you and I are the same age. How are you doing with getting older? Do you, <laughs> do we like it? Is it, is it okay? I... <laughs> well, in the, in the current climate, uh, any day above ground's a good day, right? Um, it's all, it's all about survival. And I mean, at some point you, you, uh, you know, what's the old joke? Uh, uh, there's getting older and then there's the alternative. <laughs> uh, so um, at this point, at this point, it's all, it's all good. I feel it's easier for me to say no now. Um, whereas when I was younger, I couldn't, I could not say no to anything. Um, that's something I like about getting older is I feel more in control of what I want to do and what I don't want to do. I don't know if you found that too. Um, it's easier. Yeah, a little bit. I remember my uh, old saying one a few years ago, he said, this year, I'm going to say no. <laughs> That's my mantra. No, I'm going to say no to everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, right now, it's real easy to say no to, uh, to going out. Yeah, everyone's saying no. Yeah, it's, for you, this, is, this is practice. Are you the kind of guy who, because you sing and play guitar for a living, are you very protective of your health? Are you sort of germaphobic even before this? Or did you not really think about that kind of not thing? Not at all. Really? No. No. Maybe that's why I've got some immunities built up. <laughs> but no, I mean, no. Um, yeah, I've always been pretty loose and casual about about all that. I just It's just not something I've thought about. Are you thinking about it differently now, or will it change the way that you think you will go to the grocery store, or are you sort of sticking to the old old way? It's a good question. I, I, I probably everybody's wondering that a little bit. I mean, obviously, I come back from any going outside, any place, going to the store, or going to the post office. Of course, I wash my hands. You know. And we all do that more now. And uh, what's interesting, I guess, is when we sort of do get back to um, more normal social interactions and, and mixing everything, how, how we're going to um, feel about being around people and being close to people. You know, right now, um, it's, it's like we're all in a zombie movie. And right. We're, we're, stepping way out out of the way to to not be near anybody um you know how how what 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 happens with that when once things come back together is anybody's guess yeah like what does it look like for you if you book a show in a small club in san diego or tallahassee it's like will you have some trepidation about going into that club that has no ventilation and has people, do you think about it differently than you did before? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe at the beginning, maybe at the beginning. I mean, I, I'd i like to think this this new normal isn't gonna be the forever normal. I, I don't see how it, I don't see how it can be. Um, and at the same time, you know, I, it's so day by day right now. It, yeah at least for me and the people i know and my thoughts it's like honestly it's like i've i'm doing a a facebook show today at five and i'm i wake up and i i'm starting to pull that together and i'm thinking what songs and what what poems and what covers and uh I, i'm it's just really hard to think you know i heard conflicting things about New York and LA said that they're not going to have any sports or music the rest of this year. Somebody told me that, that that happened and then I looked it up and then they said, well, they said that that could happen. So I, I don't even know, but and that seems crazy. But a month and a half ago, it seemed crazy to be where we're at now. And yeah. when they shut down 
Indian Wells was the first thing of, yeah. of that scale when they shut that down. And the I went to the Laker, you know, the Laker Clipper game, the celebrated one just before that happened on that Sunday. I was in LA, I was with my buddy. We went to the Laker Clipper, Clipper game. We saw Djokovic walking around at halftime. And I think the next day we heard that uh, Indian Wells had shut down. And that seemed unbelievable. And I think three days later, it was the NBA. And then it, um, but that all seemed temporary. And now who knows, we just, it's, it's hard to fathom. Yeah, it is. I teach college for a living and I was in the classroom. We were one of the last ones to be taken out and all my students were sick. And there were times where I was like, man, this is, this feels like I'm hot boxing the coronavirus. Cause there were, it was a pretty small room and college, you know, kids don't really take care of themselves. <laughs> and so you're like, everybody, so it really made me think about my job in a totally different way. But I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with me. I know you have your your Facebook thing later. What are what are some of the unexpected covers that you've been that you've been playing that have even surprised you? Um, yesterday I did uh, a show of God songs, um, of which I have a lot of them. But then I also did uh, What if God was one of us? And I did Little Green Apples. You know that oh, one? Yeah. yeah. That's a great song. That was that was around when I was a kid. Uh Highway 61. Um, you know, a, just a cool mix of stuff. Well, I, I can't do them all, and I can't yeah. do them all justice, but it's it's fun to, to do some of them. I'm doing moon songs tomorrow, so I'm there's a lot of Sinatra croony kind of things in yeah. there. But also, yeah. uh, you know, if you believe you're the man in the, that one and uh, moon shadow and. Uh, thanks for your time, buddy. Anytime. Let's uh, maybe when when tennis gets going, we'll we'll talk again. I'd love it. I'll, I'll drop you a line. We'll hit sometime. I, that, yeah, when you're up here in the Bay Area, let me know when you're going to be here. We'll hit some. Great. Cool, man. Okay. Well, there you go. There's the conversational rally between me and Dan Byrne. The tennis rally uh, will happen at a future date. Maybe we'll record that one and broadcast that one too. Dan Byrne's music, and boy, is there a lot of it, and it's all fantastic, can be found at danburn.bandcamp.com. Go there, have a look around, buy it all. Come on, you can do it. It's all great. Ivan's Barbershop is the new one. Start there and work your way backwards. Reverse engineer and get to know Dan Byrne. Get to know me, alexgreenonline.com, although any information there you've heard here a billion times, but stop in anyway and say hi. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Bombshell Radio can be found at bombshellradio.com. Stop by and see what makes us tick. And remember, Stereo Embers, the podcast, can be found on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a comment, give us a rating. It sounds like I'm giving you a lot of work to do, but come on. It takes a couple of seconds, a couple of clicks of the button, a couple of, couple of keystrokes, and uh, think how grateful and happy we will be. So thank you in advance for all that. And thank you, as always, for listening to our show week in and week out. Let's take a longer listen to Dan Burns' Ticket Out. This is from his new album, Ivan's Barbershop. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Yeah.